use your imagination with me uh, for just a moment. Uh, suppose no wheelchairs, uh, no handicapped facilities, no aid from the government. I want you to imagine for just a moment being disabled in the first century. Uh, you wouldn't be able to have a job. Uh, very difficult to try and move around. You wouldn't be able to go to the restroom without help. You would be completely dependent on other people. I mean, just think for a second, try and imagine what that would be like. In Acts chapter 3, we get a glimpse into the day of a man, uh, a man who was crippled. And it's safe to assume that this particular day was like any other day for him. Uh, probably started with his brothers or maybe his friends coming by to, to pick him up, to get him dressed. And, and they'd pick him up and they would carry him uh, to the gate outside of the temple in Jerusalem. This was his normal spot. This is the place that he went every week, every day uh, to beg. Now, apparently he was born this way and chances are that he was never able to use his legs to stand or even crawl. Acts chapter 4 verse 22 tells us that he had been this way for more than 40 years. 40 years, and it's safe to assume that he had probably been a fixture outside of the temple for decades. And so he would sit there uh, with his head down and ask for handouts from those who were passing by. But why did he keep his head down? You know, why do you think it was that he kept his head down as he was begging? I mean, perhaps he was afraid of embarrassing people. Uh, perhaps he was afraid of the rejection, what people thought of him. Maybe he just got tired of people ignoring him. So he was required to stay outside of the temple. Crippled people weren't allowed to go into the temple. They were viewed as flawed in this particular society. And so not only was he a social reject, but he was a spiritual reject too. I mean, can you even imagine for just a moment that level of loneliness that this guy felt? And so this was his life day after day for 40 years until one day, a day we read about here in Acts chapter 3. On this day, everything changes for him. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, I want to read uh, the first 10 verses for you to help you get an understanding of this particular story. Beginning in verse 1, it says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We're in this series called The Ghost. Uh, We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the third person of the Trinity, uh, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth. Uh, The Holy Spirit, He is God. He is fully and completely, absolutely God. He's been, always has been, and He always will be in the future. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, if you've invited Him into your life, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And as Jesus explained, uh, the Holy Spirit offers incredible advantages to believers. Uh, As we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, the Holy Spirit can serve as a guide for you. Uh, you're trying to make a decision about which college to attend or, or a decision whether or not to marry that guy. Uh, the Holy Spirit can be that guide for you in your life. Uh, the Holy Spirit can act like a comforter, you know, meaning he is always there. Uh, he is there when we face loss. He's there when we face tough news. He's there when, when you lose your job or face uncertain times. 
Uh, the Holy Spirit, he comes in power. He, he lives inside of us with all of this potential power. That power uh, is capable of giving you the courage to share Christ with a family member or a neighbor or a close friend or something, a coworker. And the Holy Spirit is always at work in us. The Holy Spirit is always working to change us. Uh, it's a big part of his role and his responsibility. It's inner transformation. It's this lifelong process of change and transformation as the Holy Spirit works in me, as the Holy Spirit works in you every day more and more to make us become more and more like Jesus. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit's role, to point to Jesus, to help us become more and more like Jesus. And that's what I want you to see this morning. That's what I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. He is wanting to move inside of you to help you become more and more like Jesus. Now, Acts chapter 2, the the chapter preceding the one that we just read, the first 10 verses, Acts 2 is about Pentecost. Uh, It's about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you to read that in your own time. But Pentecost was the day that Jesus had promised. It, It was the day that he had been preparing his disciples for, the day when this Spirit of God, this power from heaven would come and rest in the hearts and lives of all the believers. Acts chapter 3 is the immediate result of the Spirit of God moving in men and women, people like you and me. Uh, It's the first glimpse that we get of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. It's what happens when the Holy Spirit moves in your life. It's what happens when the Holy Spirit really starts working in your church. And when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life, when when you surrender and you allow the Holy Spirit to have more and more of you and, and the Holy Spirit really begins to do His work, one of the things that is you start seeing people like Jesus sees them. That's a direct result of the Spirit's work. That when the Holy Spirit gets a a hold of you, when the Holy Spirit gets more and more of your life, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit moves is that you start seeing people more and more like Jesus does. You see people who are hurting. It's like seeing the world through the eyes of Jesus. You know, Jesus was a man of compassion. I mean, he was tuned into the broken. He was focused and fixed on the hurting. Uh, he, he was all about the lost. And, and when the Holy Spirit moves in the church, you know, the church starts acting like Jesus. You know, again, Jesus was this person of compassion. It's the life that he has called us to. Uh, it, 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 it directly um, reflects the heart of God. And it's what the Spirit wants to do in your life. And, and to be honest with you, it's what I'm praying for. Uh, it's what our staff is praying for. It's what our elders are praying for. I know it's what many of you are praying for, that the Holy Spirit would move in you, that the Holy Spirit would move in me, that the Holy Spirit would move in this church. You know, and I, I want the Spirit to work in such a powerful way in us and, and through us, you know, in your life, in my life, uh, in your connection group, uh, in our student ministry, in our Gen Kids ministry. I, I want the Spirit to move, and I, I want Him to move us more and more towards these lives of compassion. You know, as a church, as the people of this church, I want us to be able to tell stories like this one here in Acts chapter 3 by the hundreds, if not the thousands. Stories of people responding obediently to the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, living like Jesus, you know, responding as people of compassion. How do you get there? I mean, what does it look like for the Spirit to move in you, to move you towards this life of compassion? I mean, you've got a part to play in that. Uh, You know, it's that whole surrender element. You know, it's not forced upon you. You've got to respond to it. I want to give you just a few things that you can be thinking about if you feel so called uh, to be moved by the Spirit to a life of compassion. You know, one of the first things that you need to do uh, is to get out of the house. If you're taking notes, just write that down. Uh, Get out of the house. Uh, Acts chapter 3 begins with the phrase, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple for a time of prayer. Uh, Jim Wallace in his book Faith Works says that if you want to become a person of compassion, you've got to get out of the house. 
Uh, you're going to have to get out of the house. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to get out of the house? It's about getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, it's about getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, think about it. I mean, how often do you come in contact with hurting people? You know, most of us, not everyone, have organized our lives in such a way that we're able to avoid hurting people uh, most of the time. Not in every situation, but, but for most of us, that's kind of how the way it works, to avoid people like this beggar in Acts chapter 3. But, but here's the thing. There are hundreds of stories of compassion uh, waiting to be told through Genesis Church, through your life. But in order for that to happen, it might require you getting out of the house. Uh, it might require you getting out of, of your comfort zone. And there are places you can go. You can go to your local school. Uh, you can go to a nursing home. You can go to a community center. Uh, you can go to a hospital. Uh, you can go to a shelter. You can go to a third world country like Haiti. And these are tough places to visit. But, but here's the thing about them. They're especially hard to visit on accident. Uh, you've got to make a point. You've got to make an effort to get out of the house. So here, here's what you can do. Maybe tonight you're going to get together with your connection group or in the next couple of the days, in the next week or so. And maybe tonight you're just going to start out by having a discussion about what it means to get out of the house. What does that look like for you? Uh, what does it look like for you to get out of your comfort zone uh, so that you can be moved more and more by the Spirit towards this life of compassion? Or even better, uh, talk about it as a group and what it would mean for your connection group to respond together in this. Uh, of just saying, you know, what if our group uh, really made an effort over the next month or over the next few months to do some different things? That this community building, this conversations, this Bible study, yes, it's important. But what if we made an effort to do some other things? You know, notice that Peter and John were on their way to the temple. Now, when we hear temple, uh, we think church. But, but this is not the church as we know it. I mean, they are going to a place where people don't know Jesus. And there will be a crowd there. But this is a crowd of people that were formerly uh, opposed to Jesus that helped send him to the cross. And the temple leaders didn't want Peter and John there either. So notice that they are on their way to a place where they know and realize the love of Jesus uh, is missing. And so like Peter and John, if you and I are, are going to be moved by the Spirit in the life of compassion, it means getting out of the house. Uh, it means getting out of your comfort zone and maybe going to some places that you don't normally go. Uh, is the Spirit of God moving in your life in that way right now? Uh, is that what's happening uh, in you? I mean, is He trying to get you out of your comfort zone? If so, uh, keep listening. You know, keep listening to what he's saying. You know, respond obediently. I mean, is he trying to get you to cross the street right now and meet that neighbor that you've never met before? I mean, what a shame that we would go years without knowing the name of all of our neighbors, you know, the people that we're living close to. Uh, maybe he wants you to reach out to the elderly couple that lives right around the corner from you uh, just to check in on them as we get into the winter to see uh, if they need any help. Uh, is he prompting you to volunteer your time at an afternoon school club? Is, has he burdened your heart right now for a for a, a, a young mom whose husband just left. I mean, the Spirit of God is always working in us. He is always trying to move us on uh, to different things. He, he wants to transform us in such a way that our lives look more and more like Jesus every day. And to do that, sometimes He needs you to get you out of your comfort zone so that you can see opportunities for compassion all around you more easily. You know, God wants to give you a, a heart of compassion. But to do that, he might need to get you out of the house. The second thing that I want you to see is that if you have this desire in your life to be moved by the Spirit of God towards a life of compassion, I recommend that you see the individual. I'll write that down in your notes, see the individual. I mean, the second thing that we see here is if you want to live a life of compassion, you have to see the individual. Acts chapter 3, verse 4, you know, Peter comes up on this man and it says that Peter looked straight at him 
as did John. Now, the Phillips version of this particular sentence says that Peter looked intensely at him, uh, that there was something deeper by, by this look. I mean, the crippled man wasn't used to this. Again, in this culture, disabled people were seen as flawed. You know, people would have looked down on him. It, it, it was common for people to look at a disabled person and say, wow, his mom and dad really messed up. And, and look how they're being punished for this. God has punished them. And so he wasn't allowed to go into the temple either. And so he sat outside every single day for most of 40 years. And he was used to people looking past him. Uh, he was look, used to people ignoring him, people crossing to the other side of the path. But on this day, Peter and John stopped. And Peter and John looked intensely into his face. You know, they saw the individual. Uh, have you ever noticed how hard it is to show compassion for someone who you think deserves what they got? I mean, think about a, a, an alcoholic or a, or a drug addict. I mean, it's hard to feel compassion for them. And maybe it's hard for you to feel compassion right now for the young woman who got pregnant outside of marriage and now she can't afford to take care of herself and her child. Or maybe you have a hard time showing compassion for the guy who sits down at the bottom of that interstate ramp every single day that you drive by and ask, is asking for handouts. And we don't usually say it, but I think there's a part of us that kind of wants to say from time to time, well, you reap what you sow, right? I'm guilty of that. You know, that, that thought, that line has gone through my head before. I mean, we don't usually say it, but, but you want to say, you know, you reap what you sow. I have a hard time showing compassion for someone who I have perceived as living a life irresponsibly. And we only want to show compassion when we think it's deserved. Aren't you glad God doesn't view compassion that way? There's a lawyer named Dale. Uh, he lives in Tallahassee, Florida, and his income is well into the high six figures. Uh, he started out volunteering at the Good News Soup Kitchen in Tallahassee, Florida. And I want to read uh, something to you. He wrote about his experience. Listen to what he says. He says, I showed up every day in my three-piece suit to help from 11 to 1.30. Uh, they assigned me door duty, and my job was to make sure street people lined up to eat uh, and waited in an orderly fashion. So every day I stood at the door for an hour chatting with the street people who were waiting to eat. And before I started serving food at the soup kitchen, uh, street people was a meaningless term. It defined a group without anybody in particular. And from the comfort of my car, my nice home, and my downtown law office, street people were just those people out there somewhere. Then one day, an elderly woman named Helen came running to the door of the soup kitchen. A man was chasing her and threatening to kill her if she didn't give him back his dollar. After 20 minutes of mediation, I brought peace to the situation by giving each of them a dollar. And that evening, I happened to be standing on the corner of Park and Monroe, and in the red twilight, I spied a lonely silhouette struggling in my direction from Tennessee Street. A poor street person, I thought, as the figure inched closer. I was about to turn my back to my own concerns when I detected something familiar in that shadowy figure. The red scarf, the clear plastic bag with the white border, the mismatched shoes. My gosh, I whispered, that's Helen. And my eyes froze on her as she limped by and turned up the street. No doubt she'd probably crawl under a bush to spend the night. My mind had always dismissed the sight of street people in seconds, but I could not expel the picture of Helen. That night as I lay in my $1,500 deluxe temperature-controlled bed, I couldn't sleep. A voice kept asking, where's Helen sleeping tonight? No street person had ever interfered with my sleep, but the shadowy figure with the red scarf and the plastic bag and the mismatched shoes had followed me home. I made a fatal mistake. 
I learned her name. You know, that's the key. Uh, it's, that's the key for you and me in being moved more and more the, by the Spirit towards a life of compassion. It's realizing that it's not just people. It's not just the poor. It's not just the Haitians. But that each person has a name. And behind every name there is an individual. And behind every name there's a story and more importantly a soul. And when we see the person and when we hear a name, everything changes. And it's easy to say, you know, I'm a person of compassion. Sure, I feel some compassion in my life. Well, can you tell me a name? Because it's so different when we know a name. You know, Peter sees this man. He doesn't look past him. He sees him as a person. It's a person in your, with, with a name. What, what would happen in your life right now? Uh, what, what could the Spirit of God do in you if you began seeing every person uh, with a name, if you were really able to see people like Jesus did, I mean, how would you view the single dad? How would that change for you? How would you see the hurting family that that lives down the street? How might you re- react differently to the to the homeless man, or even the high maintenance family member that you have, or, or the life sucking coworker? What would happen if you saw them as an individual, as a person, someone with a name, someone with a soul? I bet it, it would get your attention. I bet it would get my attention. You know, learn, learn some names. You know, learn some names and be moved by that. Uh, the third thing is that if, if you want to be moved by the, the Spirit to a life of compassion, uh, you've got to be ready to take action. You know, when the Holy Spirit moves in you and you be- gradually become more and more like Jesus, he, he gives you a heart of compassion. And to have compassion means to take action. To have compassion means to take action because if you don't have action in your life, then there is no compassion. The two of them go together. You know, Peter says, hey, I don't have a lot of money. He says to this man, I don't have a lot of money, but what I have, I'm going to give to you. Peter understood that it wasn't enough to simply look at this man and to have this emotion stirred inside of him. He needed to do something. You know, he needed to, do, to take action. You know, the measure of compassion in your life is not how much you feel or how often you cry or how great your emotions are. It's about what you do. Uh, It's about what you're willing to put to action. And when the Holy Spirit moves in your life, he doesn't just break your heart, but he starts moving muscles. You know, he starts moving muscles, and and the Spirit wants to move us to action. Uh, A couple of verses to support this. James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 say, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with what? But with actions and in truth. Now, do you know what, what would really impact our community? Do you know what could really change our community? It's if every single one of us agreed to live like this. If we said, you know what, I believe that's true. I believe that's the work that the Spirit of God wants to do inside of me. I'm going to surrender myself to this. This is how I want to live. That would change our community. If you surrendered your life to the Spirit, you know, moving inside of you and regularly got out of the house and learned names and and saw the individual and were moved to action. Friends, there are so many stories that we could tell. So many ways that we could demonstrate compassion, you know, even right here in, in central Indiana. I love hearing stories. You know, I get the privilege of hearing stories all the time, different stories of compassion. I got this update in the mail just this past week from an organization here in central Indiana called Safe Families. 
Uh, Safe Families is all about helping to, to take children out of difficult situations and even put them in temporary housing. And we've got some families right here at Genesis that have been partnering with Safe Families. It's kind of like fostering. Uh, but they'll take a child in even for a week or two weeks or three weeks or, or however long that's needed. But, but Safe Families tells this story, this one story of compassion that came up recently. Uh, a couple of the directors write this. Last night, Krista and I picked up a brother, 10, and sister, 9, in a CVS parking lot at 79th and Ditch. Can you imagine how desperate and humiliated their mother must have felt when she had to watch us drive away with her children? By the time we got back to Krista's, it was about 10:30 p.m. These two kids hadn't eaten lunch or hadn't eaten since lunch at school, and Chris, when Krista opened up her refrigerator, they both gasped at the amount of food she had. One of them asked how many food stamps she used for all that stuff. Well, if that wasn't enough, they they thought they really hit the food jackpot when Krista asked if anyone wanted lettuce on their sandwich. Little sis didn't want to finish hers so she could have some for the morning. Next, they showered, read a book, and said their prayers. And just as we turned out the lights. Sis said she hopes that she'll dream about being a princess. I'm pretty confident that I think Krista and I saw Jesus at work last night. We are currently, uh, we were looking for a three to four week placement for these two children. Uh, Mom is trying to get into a, a shelter, but unfortunately they are all full. But a safe family took these two children in the next day and they had the privilege of, of seeing Jesus too. I love stories like that. I love hearing those stories of compassion, you know. And again, we've got some families with Genesis uh, involved with safe families. Uh, Maybe that's something that you would feel led to do. Uh, I love hearing stories about our connection groups. And I know that we've got many connection groups that are stepping out to to do yard work for others, to help buy groceries uh, for people, to help meet financial needs, even for one woman in particular right here in the Noblesville area. Um, I love uh, the story of of our own people reaching out to one of our very own young couples that just this past week lost their four-week-old little girl. And um, seeing all of the people from Genesis who have sent notes and supported them and loved them and provided meals during this difficult time. Um, I'm so excited. I get jazzed about hearing about 18 people from Genesis going to Haiti in January. And how awesome is that 18 of you are willing to do that and others have. And I know that some of you want to do that in the future. I love hearing these stories. And I know there are so many more of them. These stories of compassion. Trust me, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. And he wants to lead me. And he wants to lead this church more and more towards a life of compassion. And for some of you, the next step for you is to take some action. God has been burdening your heart. He's been moving inside of you. And the next step is compassion. The last thing is this. Uh, If you want to be moved by the Spirit more and more towards a lack of compassion, um, I just say this, do it in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 3, verse 6 says, Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Um, Genesis, I I want you to know that you encourage me. Uh, I am so encouraged by you and by this church and your acts of generosity and your acts of compassion. You know, like the stories that I just shared, I love these stories and there are more and some that I, I haven't heard. But I believe that we will, be, we will continue being called and that we in our future are going to continue to be called to even greater things as a church, you know, in the days to come. And in addition to sharing the gospel message and watching people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ right here, as important as this is, um, I believe that we will be called to extend compassion uh, to people in our neighborhoods right around us here in central Indiana and even beyond this place. And not like a program, but where it just happens naturally. 
as you respond to the work that the Spirit is doing inside of you. And as it happens, let me say this. Uh, in everything you do, uh, whatever you do, don't do it for me. Uh, don't do it for yourself. Don't do it for your connection group. Don't do it for Genesis Church, but do it for Jesus. Uh, it, it's, a, it's in the name of Jesus, just as Peter said a moment ago. Uh, it's all for the name of Jesus. You know, imagine the scene here in Acts chapter 3. This man has never walked, ever. And, and now he's been set free, and everyone notices, and there's all this buzz around the temple, and the crippled man is walking. You know, they're saying, come and see. You know, come check it out. So everyone gathers to see it for themselves, and he's jumping and dancing. I mean, if there was ever a validation for dancing in church, it's with this guy right here. You know, he's jumping and dancing. And in that moment, Peter clears his throat and he speaks up and he explains that all of this, every bit of it happened through the power of Jesus. And Peter goes on to preach this sermon uh, and he talks about the risen Christ and how Jesus can save souls. And and if you go to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, you can read it for yourself. Uh, The Bible says that he preached the gospel message and a number of people that were so moved by this entire situation, people gave their lives to Christ and the church grew by about 5,000 people that day. You know, friends, if we will get out of the house and see people as individuals and act in love and do it all in the name of Jesus, hundreds of thousands of lives can be changed right here around us. You know, people finding their way back to God right here in central Indiana. It's what you and I are called to, to become more and more like Jesus, to be people of compassion. Will you let the Spirit do that work inside of you and through you and through your group and through your family? Let me pray.